Hi, I'm Angela Lucier, a professional public speaker, seven-time author, two-time TEDx speaker, and CEO and founder of the Speaker Sisterhood, a network of public speaking clubs for women. And I'm Dr. Jolie Hamilton, a research psychologist, best-selling author, TEDx speaker, and ASEC certified sex educator. Together, we're the hosts of Claim the Stage, a podcast about speaking and sisterhood. If you've been a fan, you know I've been doing this show solo, and it's been all about public speaking for years. Well, that all changes now. Well, you're still talking about speaking on stage, but now we're also going to focus on the three things that you need to make an impact, your voice, confidence, and sisterhood. The show is a training ground to go from dreaming to creating. Right. And we'll still be doing interviews with expert guests. Plus, you'll also get more personal stories and insights from us as well. I'm really excited to see where this goes. Me too. And slightly freaked out. Yeah, me too. Welcome to the next chapter of Clay on the Stage. Welcome back, Jolie. Hey. Hi. Yeah. It's a it's a Wednesday morning. I'm, I would say we're both pretty pretty much in it. We're in it in because we, you wake up and you hit the floor. And we're in it. <laughs> and there we are again. Yeah. Today's episode, we are interviewing Sarah Schneider all about this topic of letting go of your inner good girl. Following last week's episode, which was all about not owing anyone anything which was a great topic. And this is sort of a little series about trying to let go of that inner good girl. So today's episode, we're going to talk more about what that means and how the inner good girl gets in our way and what to do with her because she's in there. Yeah, she's in there. And sometimes she's kicking our butts and sometimes she's not guiding us in the direction we want to go. Yeah. Yeah. It's a whole thing. What's your experience with being a good girl? Well, I think... It's a little, maybe a little bit different from yours. I know we've talked about this a little bit before. Um, I, I think I've been more of a rebel in general, like right from when I was little. Um, so I, yeah, I think that I didn't really identify with the idea of having this, this inner good girl that I need to let go. But I think that's also a, a bit of a, it's a, there's a bit of defending in there. Like if I, if I look more closely, sure. Cause I, you know, I had elders in my life who told me I was a good girl and, and held up a standard of femininity that I should reach for. So, yeah, it's not, it's not clear, which I think is what, um, most of us probably feel like, do I, I don't know, I'm stepping out, I'm doing my stuff. So is that really a problem for me? But yeah, in fact, there's some stuff in there that I could deal with for sure. What about you? Yeah, I, I can remember a specific example of the first time I wasn't a good girl and mm. what it felt like. I was in, I was like five years old and I was in my kindergarten class and we had spent a month choreographing a dance for Thanksgiving that we were going to do at the soldier's home. And we had costumes and it was a whole big thing. It was like the first time our kindergarten class was going to go perform somewhere. And the day came, we got there and they're setting everything up. And I just decided, you know, I'm just not feeling this today. And I said to my teacher, I'm not going to dance. And she said, what? <laughs> what? And, and I said, you know, I, I don't want to. 
And I just went and sat in the corner and my parents came, all the parents came. And my mom, I was talking to my mom about this the other day. She said, yeah, I saw you sitting over in the corner. And I went over to the teacher and said, what's, what's Anne's doing? And she said, oh, she doesn't want to dance. And my mom said, well, doesn't she have to? And the teacher said, if she doesn't want to dance, we're not going to make her dance. And I felt so empowered in that moment because I could just sit in the corner and no one could tell me what to do. And I could just sit in the audience and watch this dance go on and not have to participate. And it was, it was such a, a change, a life changer because it made me realize like I have a choice and people will listen to that choice. Um, if I say it out loud. And so I started to exercise that more, but not that often because it didn't always get listened to. But it was the first time I saw that I could do that and it was okay and that they would be respected. And yeah, I feel like there are definitely pla more places. There are some places where it was respected in my life and some places where it wasn't. And I can see the threads of that and how it has led to where I am now. Yeah. So I still play with that now, like, or I'll, I'll speak my mind and see if, is this okay? Can I get away with this? Is someone going to listen to it? And it's still a game in my mind of, can I... Can I have this moment of being heard instead yeah. of just going along with in order to be a good girl? Yeah. Have you ever found yourself telling your daughters they were a good girl when they like well when they were well behaved or if they helped someone or did something pleasant? Yeah. When they were little, so they're they're pretty grown now. They're 14, 16, and 21. So I certainly don't say those things to them now for other reasons, because it would just be such a bizarrely patronizing thing to say to them now but when they're little there is there is a habit that that people have of doing that and i remember the first time i told somebody not to tell my eldest daughter that she was a good girl and i remember how uncomfortable it was like i didn't want to have that language in our house and um i think i had read alfie cone's book about praise um, about the, like the damage that praise can do. And so I had this sort of kicking around in my head and I didn't really have a strong counter argument yet. I didn't know what I wanted in place of it. So that was the biggest struggle I was having is I, now I, I could simply pop open, um, a nice, uh, girls empowerment, Instagram feed and come up with a whole bunch of alternative strategies for what I would do instead of saying, Oh, you're such a good girl. Uh, or such a good boy for that matter, because I, I was equally just like distraught over that, but that, what, that didn't really exist yet. The conversation was happening, but it was much more low key. It was happening in like the back corners of V bulletin forums, <laughs> right? So I didn't know what to put in place. And that seemed to cause a big rift between myself and the next generation, my, my elders, my, um, my grandparents' generation, my parents' generation, because everyone meant well by it. Like they wanted to be thinking of it as a reward. They wanted to be thinking of it as like just a, a way that we reinforce good behavior without any sort of thought about what exactly we meant by good behavior and what we were reinforcing and how it was gendered right from the start, a good girl versus a good boy and how those were different things that they were being rewarded for. Um, yeah, it got messy and I, and I didn't have a good counter argument. So I think that I was intermittently strong about that, but not, not all the time. So I have not regrets exactly, but I feel the confusion. Like, wow, I'm glad we're having a more conscious conversation about it these days. What do you say to them now if they do something that you want to reinforce as positive? 
I try to, you know, pull out the the classic trick of just saying exactly what I notice. Like I see you working hard. I see how how much you love what you're doing. Um, I see you choosing a path that is not easy. Things like that. Um, and because they are they're so grown and they're like they're in that phase where stretching is the name of the game, right? The they're in adolescence and early adulthood. So it's easy to look at their lives and just say, like, yeah, there are examples everywhere of how they're choosing to be more themselves every day. But I do still, I struggle with, you know, how do we complement each other and, and how we complement each other as women seems like it really impacts us. I don't want to never say, oh, your hair looks nice today. At the same time, I don't want to reinforce the idea that their hair needs to look any particular way. Yeah. This is, like I feel it feels so simple and yet I feel caught up in it like m- more frequently than I ever thought I would think about. <laughs> like it makes me stumble over my words and I'm not a person who tends to stumble over their words. Mm-hmm. It's tricky. It is tricky. And I find like I often won't share a compliment with someone because I'm afraid that I'm going to draw attention to something that doesn't need attention drawn to it because it's really not something that I care about that much. But so, I sometimes feel like I yeah. should. <laughs> I had I had, I was at an event a couple weekends ago. It was this really fun, like it was like a, a flirtatious and friendly Zoom, like speed dating kind of thing. And it was really fun. And there was a great piece of advice. Uh, Phoenix Mandel gave it. They said, um, if you're going to give a compliment, choose something that the person is at choice about. So like they chose what shirt they put on or I was wearing like, antler, um, little antler headwear and, um, or like they color their hair dark blue. And these are things we're at choice about versus things that are just us. And that was helpful because it gave me something like, okay, I could, I can lean into things that people are at choice about choice decisions that they made that they probably want to be noticed about because they were active decisions Mm -hmm. versus qualities of their being. Maybe I it's, this is tricky because we often will see something in someone else that we value, but they might not, or they might have a big hang up or just not want to be seen that way. Yeah. It's complicated. It is. So what do you do about it now? Um, most of the time I don't say anything unless I feel really, really strongly. Like there's just something that is really grabbing my attention or I just feel really drawn to. And I'll say, I really like that. Or that's, that's cool. But I'm pretty, um, restrained with compliments, especially with women. Cause it seems like there's so much about appearances that are, we're constantly being commented on and we're constantly trying to like improve and prove. And I don't really want to reinforce that. Right. And it's, but, and then it's complicated because sometimes, yeah, like you're, you're do you're, you've made some um, change to your appearance and sometimes it's very intentional and you want people to notice it. And there's nothing simple about any of this. No, there's just not. There's no. just not. And you're at the other end of the parenting game. So, do you find yourself accidentally ever saying "good boy" or "good kid" or anything like that? I often tell them "good job." I don't really gender it. I usually will say like "good job with that" and like "nice job putting your toys away" and "good job eating dinner." And yeah. I don't know if he needs to be praised for that, but. <laughs> I'm always excited because I'm like, wow, he just 
put a fork in his mouth by himself and he <laughs> ate the food that was on it. This is cool. Amazing. Yeah. Honestly, literally <laughs> amazing. I'm amazed. <laughs> One thing I want to make sure we get to is when we decided to start doing this podcast together, we had decided we would do a three month trial to see if we liked it and how it was going. So we're going to do like a, a sort of performance review at the end of March on that episode, which feels I'm very I'm so official. looking forward to it. It'll be great. It'll be great. <laughs> and so I also wanted to ask the listeners to participate in the performance review by filling out an anonymous feedback form to share how they feel about things. Cause I've gotten mixed feedback and I want to know what others are thinking. And I know we have a lot of people who listen to the show and they don't write in and I know they're listening right now. I can, I can, I'm not that I can see you, but I can hear you listening. I know you're there. You can feel it. <laughs> I can feel it. Air. <laughs> and I want to know what you think. Cause this is a totally different format from how the show has been done for years. And I want to know if you like our intros and the topics we talk about and the length of it and just how it's going. So it's just a short feedback form, just a few questions. So if you can take a minute out of your time, I'll put the link to the show notes uh, in the show notes to the feedback form for you to fill out for us. And then we'll get a chance to see how we're doing and, and we can include it in the performance review. <laughs> no yeah. Pressure. Yeah. I mean, you can't make things better without constructive criticism. So I'm here for that. Yeah. yeah. And what, what show would we have without the listeners? So we need to right. know that everyone's happy and we're yeah. doing the right thing. Or at least that some people are phenomenally happy. Yes. Yeah. And, well, and then what really doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, like phenomenally happy will be one of the options on the, the survey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as well as <laughs> making the throw up noise. <laughs> Uh, Cassandra Speaks, our, our book that we've been sort of lightly reading. <laughs> we've been dipping in and out. We've been dipping it's a, in and it's out. It's a fierce book. So it's, yeah. It is, it's fierce. And we both have the craziest schedules, which we're always like, why are we doing this? But that leaves less time for reading. But I know that you got a chance to read more of it. And what you read is actually a perfect complement to today's subject on Good Girls. So I'd love to hear what you're reading. Yeah. Okay. So I've been reading it a bit. <laughs> um, I'm just up to, I, I'm actually rereading. I had read at the very beginning, those sections on power. And so I, I had skipped ahead and read those chapters. Now I'm coming back to them. But what I'm inspired by, as we're talking about the good girl, is this sentence that Elizabeth Lester writes over and over again in the book, tell me what you're paying attention to and I'll tell you who you are. And she, there's this chapter where she's saying this over and over again, tell me what you're paying attention to and I'll tell you who you are. And I was like, oh, I was thinking about it this morning and I actually was listening to the audio version of this. So I was listening to this chapter again and I, so I heard this read to me over and over again. And I thought, so how does that relate to my inner gr good girl? And Instantly, I was struck by my Instagram feed and my Facebook feed and the places I choose to listen to podcasts and who I'm, yeah, that is currency, right? The, the currency of attention is such a big deal. And I can see myself trying to mold myself and shift, shape shift in order to be whatever others already are presenting out there. So it, it's reminding me that some of the good girl nonsense is about conformity, 
It's about trying to be homogenous, right? Except uh, there's so much out there. There are so many things to be. So how did we decide on what the the homogenous version of being a good girl is? How did that get decided? And that... (laughs) That led me to think about the power chapters that Elizabeth writes about. And she's talking about how how important it is to actually look head on at power. And she says in there, she wanted to look right at power. And she, she started to recognize that the power structures that she was working in were keeping her from earning to her full potential, to from, um, from do, having the influence that she wanted, from doing all the things that she felt like she was already doing from being really recognized and allowed to change the world in the way she wanted to because of these power structures. But she said um, really succinctly, how do we change the structure while we're living under its roof? And that I think is at the heart of the good girl thing too, because so often this is passed to us in our homes through the power structures that we live in, in our schools, like right there, it's it's this pervasive message that's everywhere, which Sarah ta- is going to talk about that pervasive message. It's not that anybody sits us down some one day and says, here's the list of how to be a good girl. Now make sure you check off all the boxes every day. It's not that. We would know what to do if it were that simple. Instead, it's this conglomeration of stuff that makes up the supposed to, and it upholds a, a structure that doesn't really have room for us to be the unique, bizarre creatures that we are, right? And that sort of broke my heart. So I was I was walking down the street this morning listening to this chapter, and I just started crying. I'm like, oh, because it's really hard to dismantle power structures while we're trying to live in the house. So it's just going to be hard work. This is, this is really, this isn't going to be pretty and it's not going to feel good because I have to buck the good girl archetype just to participate in the undoing of it. So I have to like fight with my inner good girl, even as I'm trying to dismantle the system that said I ever had to have one. What the hell? Yeah. (laughs) What do you think is a good first step for that? Well, I think the crying is probably important. Yeah. And that's not, you know, it's not my go-to move. I'm not as, um, I'm, I'm not like a natural crier. It, it's, um, it was, it was reinforced out of me as a child. I was, we were allowed to be, we could cry if we were angry, but not if we were sad. So crying spontaneously for the, for the, for the little girl who didn't fit into any mold feels like a good first step allowing that to happen. And I know some of you are probably good, like good at just allowing those tears to flow. Like that works for you. So maybe that's an easier step for you. Maybe in that case, maybe the first step is just becoming aware of the places where, where you're trying to fit in, trying to be that, that homogenous version of whatever. It's interesting to me. It's just occurring to me now how this all fits together. We started this this year talking about femininity and how do we, how do we reconcile with femininity if we want to be powerful and independent and have our full voices and just be whoever we are. And now we've, we've gone through a bunch of topics talking about power structures, but here we've landed back at, we better attend to that wounded little girl inside 
or we can't do any of the big work. It's, it's just too overwhelming. What are you doing about it? Because <laughs> right now I'm like, oh, I feel so tired as I'm listening to you talk about Yeah. Sorry, everybody. What a bummer. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually know. have a lot of hope. Oh, good. Too. I do. But what are you, what do you do about that? Like, what's your go-to move right now for like noticing you notice that the good girl stuff is coming up or is running something? Yeah. I am doing a lot of inner child work right now and I'm doing mm -hmm. a lot of stuff with around the wounded self and trying to tune into my guidance to learn more about what the truth is in each of these subjects. And when I am in my kid, what, what's the story I'm telling my kid and why, what's the, what's the uh, false belief and what's the truth about it. So there's like, I'm doing that probably 10 times a day mm. and there's so much to be learned about it. And a lot of it is, um, constantly like judging and criticizing myself for not being right, not knowing, not for making mistakes for, not having more knowledge at this point in my life. Like there's, it's all pointless stuff that just sort of holds me back, but I'm getting better at seeing it, that there's a pattern in there that I'm constantly looping in and that I, I'm trying to now find what the truth is of that situation. Cause how, how is it possible that I would know everything at this point? Like I'm always trying to figure out <laughs> more. Yeah. We're, we're learning and we're growing and changing but there is, there's pressure to both already know and already be, and to be dynamic and changing and interesting. Yeah. And that pressure is applied in weird places. But I think you're, you, it sounds really like a great choice to me to start with, where are you reinforcing it? Like your, your inner work versus, um, I tend to start in the outer world, um, like thinking and looking at where it's showing up in my relationships. But I think- actually listening like what 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 are those messages that you're giving yourself you're reinforcing and asking is this true mm -hmm. is this the story i'm telling myself yeah. yeah important questions absolutely so what else are you working on right now like for your business oh um right now i i yeah what we talked about last week how i decided that i am so totally in for being as weird as i actually am has just been spinning. Like I'm, so I'm saying that out loud to as many people as possible. I'm reworking my website so that it starts to be more in line with who I actually am instead of a polished version of who I was hoping that people wanted to see. Mm. Um, which means I had to schedule new, new headshots, which means I had to think about COVID and how that would happen and complicated stuff. Mm. Um, I would like I would like to say that I was working on something that felt like it it was uh, tangible right now, but it doesn't. Right now, I'm in that swirling around of, oh, I have to be I have to be willing to be totally present and as vulnerable and me as possible because that is actually what I encourage people to do. So, I'm working on practicing that loudly. That feels really important and big. Yeah, it's it's good work. It feels like it's really good work, and I'm. It's making me get clear on some things that I don't want to do, mm -hmm. which is probably as important as the things that I do want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, it's good. It's all good. What about you? What are you working on right now? 
I'm putting together a new course. Oh, right. Of course, like course, course. That's like my most said sentence in 2021. I'm putting together a new course. Well, I see your calendar behind you. And <laughs> yeah, of course you are, because I see course, course, course. Yep. <laughs> sure. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> I started, I think I've talked about this a little bit, but I started working with a coach and we built a really big plan for me for this year. And when we built it, I thought, wow, that's going to be intense but it's so much more intense than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> and I'm It's spending... probably good that you underestimated that because you had to dream, you were in that big dreaming phase. Yeah. If you had looked at it and known it would be this intense, you might've played smaller. That's definitely a big part of this, like eschewing the good girl. The good girl plays small. Mm-hmm. There's nothing small about this plan. And uh-uh. <laughs> I'm actually now realizing I need to pull back a little bit because it's it's just not enjoyable at this point because there's it's just nonstop, really, really heady work that requires so much focus and attention and building that I I have very little energy to do anything else. So I need to like slow down the schedule. But I'm building a new course called Stage to Screen. And it's for speakers or people who have built trainings and programs that initially happened in a classroom or at a workshop or on a stage that they can now turn into an online course or an online offering. So the whole course teaches you how to try to kind of repurpose your content to build into something you can sell online. And with the online learning market being so humongous, it's like in the 300 billions, there's a lot of opportunities to bring more and exciting and different content to the internet. So um, that course is going to teach that. And I've done that many times with my own content. So I have a lot to say on the subject. And it's not that it's even hard to put the course together because it's a lot of the stuff that I've been talking about, but you know, it just requires like thought and how to break it all down into actionable steps and make it so that people have takeaways and they're not like, wow, I'm, my head is spinning, you know, like I hate I don't want to do that. So um, it's it's a good topic and I'm excited to present it. But yeah, right now I'm just like sort of at the end of building it and it'll come out in the beginning of April. I'm loving that because there's so much. I mean, I'm, I'm loving being on the receiving end of all of the new things, all of the new information that there is to take in. So I don't actually have to go out. I don't have to make the hard decision about being out yet. I'm not ready to be out in the world. So I'm loving watching people transition their work from in-person to online. It also makes it so much more accessible. Like there are real accessibility issues about people who can travel or can't, people who have access to the amount of money it costs to, to be in those spaces versus online experiences can be more streamlined and more cost efficient. So that's a real, that's a, there's a, there are many reasons to lean into that that space that aren't just COVID. They're, hey, uh, this is actually a huge burgeoning industry that is not going anywhere. We just actually had a wonderful natural experiment to see, see like its potential, how much it could enhance our lives. Mm-hmm. And you're so great about breaking things down into structured action steps that I'm completely confident that it will not leave people's heads spinning. Thank you. <laughs> That's why you're head spinning now because you're doing that. You're exactly. pre-spinning. I appreciate that. Yeah, that's actually, that's very true. Cause I have, yeah, to do the, the forethought of like, what, how is this going to play out? And that does make my head burn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, thanks. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> so I, I'm going to get into who our guest is today, a little bit more about her. Her name is Sarah Schneider and she is a good girl dismantler. 
which is such a cool title. It's a great title. She's an executive coach, a leadership trainer, and CEO of the leadership coaching company, Sarah Schneider and Company. For over 18 years, Sarah has been having candid conversations with leaders at all levels, supporting the professional, business, and personal development of those leaders, and effectively building and leading teams. She works predominantly with women leaders to dismantle the cultural good girl conditioning so that they can do what they know to do and lead on their teams. Sarah is a professional certified coach holds an MBA and navigated a decade in a male dominated IT space. So anything you want to add before we jump into the interview? Enjoy it because the conversation about good girl can take us to that place of feeling bad right, like right away. Just the introduction of that term. I noticed myself turning inward a little bit and like, Ugh, I don't want to deal with that. But actually, it was a really fun conversation. And I think that there was a lot of uplifting, like, okay, yeah, so let's dismantle this and build up exactly who we want to be and not allow that script to run us. Sarah had a lot of great things to say about that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, with that, we will leave you with our interview with Sarah Schneider. Enjoy. Sarah Schneider, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here. A little nervous, I'm not going to lie. Being here with a relationship and sex expert and a speaking expert, I'm like, ooh, watch the ums and ahs. Uh, but I'm, I'm excited to be here. Wow. I think don't watch the ums and ahs at all. And that way they, they'll stay away. Like we shouldn't look at them at all. Let's yeah, not. I'm like... <laughs> I try not to look at them anyway. I think they're not that big of a deal. And we tend to overthink these little details that actually make conversation more interesting because we don't come across as robotic. So yeah, I love that. Yeah. So you're here today to talk about this good girl concept and we're, we're fascinated by it because Jolie has her own take on it. I have my take on it and I'd love to learn more about your take on it. And I guess I'm most interested in why you're interested in this topic. How did this start for you? Yeah, it's most of what I do. I've been thinking about I've been thinking about a lot about this because I've been working on my messaging and I a lot of times my clients are working on how they communicate and what they want to share and what I've noticed in my own speaking and the way I bring my voice and how I share things is I'm like, "Oh, suddenly I've got to be super clever." Like suddenly I have to say things that are really fiery or big, or I've got to find a way to stand out. And so I found myself going from feeling like I'm sanitizing myself to like being over the top. And that's not who I am. I'm a very clear speaker. I say what I mean. I'm direct. I try to use as little amount of words as, as possible. And as I was doing that, I'm like, okay, well, bottom line, I help people be better leaders. But as I was going through that and working with some people externally who um, do this for a living, what I found as I was sharing with them about some of the things I noticed hold leaders back, especially people who identify as women leaders, is things like that, that I have wrapped up into the good girl conditioning. Things like, who am I to? Being agreeable when really you don't agree with things or you would have a different way to see things. That internal conflict of be this, but not that. Uh, be ambitious, but not too ambitious, you greedy, greedy person. Right? There's all of these messages that we receive our whole life. 
And that's really where the good girl conditioning came from. It's not about, I've never in my life, no one ever has accused me of being a a good girl. (laughs) Uh, But it's more about what happens on the inside. How do I turn my, all the mental gymnastics basically that happen on the inside to show up in the world. Interesting. How come, so if you don't identify as a good girl, what drew you to this work? Well, I was in, I was in tech for about 10 years. So I was in the IT space for about 10 years and very male dominated, but I did happen to work for two really great companies. So some of the really shitty stories that you hear that a lot of women or marginal other marginalized people go through in tech. I didn't have a direct experience of that, but I suspect even if I had, I wouldn't have recognized it. It was not on my radar that I would be treated differently or people might be speaking to me differently or that I was not saying something in a meeting or I actually I actually think I was more aggressive than I needed to be because I was overcompensating for something. And I didn't, I didn't know any of this back then. If I had, (laughs) my career might've looked a little more chill than it did. Um, But I work a lot with women leaders and it, I just notice over and over and over again, that this is something that comes up. And I'm one of those people that believe that if we have more women in leadership and more marginalized identities, identities and leadership, our world would look so different. So my predominant purpose is to is to up, uplift more women in leadership. So that's how I how I got here. Mm-hmm. So what do you tell women who are leaders who you see kind of living by the good girl philosophy? What do you do to help them get out of that or to change their mindset? Yeah. Well, I think a big part of it first is is recognizing it. You know, as I mentioned, there if if, if somebody had told me 10 years ago, or if I'm being really honest, even five years ago, that they're, uh, I'm trying to think of the, the exact word, but it's like, I honestly did not think that I, that I did everything in my power to make sure that I wasn't the uh, traditional woman. I didn't have certain emotions. I didn't say certain things. I didn't show up in a certain way. Wearing red lipstick was not something I would have ever done. And yet it brings me so much fucking joy. Uh, But there's certain things that I would not have done. And if somebody said, well, that's because you're worried about patriarchy, or that's because you're worried about systemic things, I'd have been like, no, screw you. Like, that's not a thing. So I've had to do a lot of my own work and recognizing how my identities work for me and can work against me. And I don't, I don't have a lot of marginalized identities. So if, when you start talking about a woman from India or a black woman in the U S like it just extrapolates how much of, uh, assimilation has to happen. And that's how I think a lot about the good girl conditioning is that it's assimilation. But if you don't first and foremost recognize it, you think you're a weirdo, you think you're messed up. You think there's something wrong with you. So that's the first step. And I can share others, but you know, it's, I think first we have to recognize how these things show up for us. Yeah. What are some of the ways that you've seen it show up for, for women that they may not notice right away and just think that's just who I am. 
I'm weird. Yeah. My, one of my favorite things that I've said, and I've heard my, a lot of my clients say is like, I'm a, I'm a walking contradiction. And I'm like, well, you're a human. I would suspect that there would be, you'd be multifaceted and dynamic and you, you, you do get to be more than one thing, but that's something I hear often is I am a walking contradiction. I hear things like I work with a really, really brilliant CEO who has an amazing company and, you know, even externally, all the things that you would, you'd be like, she thinks she's an amazing leader, but things like, who am I too? That I think that is one of the biggest questions I hear from people is who am I to go speak? Who am I to have a better sex life? Who am I to want to make more money? Who am I to write a book? And, but we don't necessarily ask that question. It's things like somebody else has already said it. I shouldn't say it. I, is it okay for me to have more? I already have a great life. It's things like that. Um, or I don't want to piss people off. Have you found that those messages, I like I hear those, I hear those from clients all the time um, and they probably, they're coming to me for a slightly different reason, but wh- what do you think? What's your, your hot take on where does it come from? Because I, I hear you saying like assimilation, acculturate, enculturation. Yeah, that's like in the broad picture, but specifically, like what messages are people, are they growing up with messages? Is it in the system everywhere? Are you seeing like any trends that people could look for to see, to sort of unpack like, Hey, maybe this does apply to me. If I, if I found myself ever in these spaces or doing these things. Yeah. Well, I, one of my colleagues and and friends recently had a a daughter Uh, and we're all working from home. We have things are happening in the background with our kids that we, that we can't control. And so she, uh, she had her daughter in the, on a zoom call and I, her daughter did something and I heard her say, Oh my God, you're such a good girl. Now that's not a, my colleague is brilliant and wonderful and an amazing human being. So it's not a, a dig to her. But if you think about most of us hear things like that, pretty early on we we get rewarded for certain things and uh, reprimanded for certain things again not an accusation to parenting it you know it's it's the way that goes but it's it's constant things like this we if, if I think about it in terms of leadership think about the textbooks that we read growing up think about what leaders look like in movies and in the in the media uh and then we think, okay, we have to be that, but we're not that. And so suddenly we don't get to be leaders. Yeah. So um, let's not talk around it though. Like, so I'm not like, what, like, what is it that we do see that, that we keep trying to be like, what do you think? What are these women who have lots of power and who like haven't unleashed it? What are, what are they pretending to be? Well, I'm not an old white dude. I'm not in a three-piece blue power suit. I don't have a college education. Mm-hmm. I look at a, a job listing and I don't have 100% of those qualifications, yeah. um, which... <laughs> uh, Lots of men do. show up for not yeah. having the qualifications. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're, they are taught a different set of lessons. 
yes. about how, how they should reach than typically American girls are taught. Yeah. Uh, things like, well, uh, again, if we're going to get super specific, how many tech bros do you see in hoodies? <laughs> and it's perfectly fine. Yep. And, you know. But you got to show up in the four inch heels. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I do think that's starting to shift. Uh, but we also have to disrupt that that's how it used to be. So like, you know, and I'm, I'm fortunate to work for myself and I say what I do or don't wear, but I'm still conscious, conscious of it when I show up in certain spaces. Will I be taken seriously if I rock my hoodie as seriously as I would if I wore my blazer? Um, so there's a lot of aesthetic stuff that I think we, the messages we hold ourselves to, but same thing like in U.S. culture, we put a lot of uh, stock in formal education. There's a lot of people who don't have formal education who are just as good at leading things or just as good at speaking or just as good at relationships. It's things like you haven't done this long enough or you don't have the experience to do this or you don't have what we call traditional experience to do this. Right. You, know, you swear too much, <laughs> right? Whatever it is. Oh yeah. Definitely that. So what can we do? What are the steps like to stop, you know, doing the mental gymnastics and to stop every time we want to open our mouths, have to go through a filtering process of, is this okay to say, what, what can we do? (laughs) Such a great way to say it. Filtering process of, is this okay? Yeah. Well, like I mentioned earlier, the, the first part is to recognize it and see it as something outside of our selves. I, and it, you know, I can share about this and I coach people about it, but I also care about it because I do it all the time. Like I have, I, I mean, I shared it with you all before I got on this call. It's like, Ooh, like, you know, got a little self-conscious and then, um, so it's not something I think we ever have perfectly handled. I think it's something that we're, I know for me and my clients, I'm constantly practicing, but one is to recognize it outside of our selves. Wow. I'm questioning if I have enough experience to go for that promotion. I'm questioning if I have enough experience to go apply for that speaking engagement. I'm noticed that I'm questioning my ability as a CEO because some shithead commented on a post of mine, right? Like it's recognizing that that conversation is happening and we can look at it outside of ourselves. So that's the first piece is to recognize that most of that stuff we think is, is completely made up. And then I like to think about it from, okay, so if we just got rid of that thought and let's, let's pick one, like the, who am I to, if, if, if we just said, okay, we'll put that down and didn't replace it with something, something else is going to come in, in my experience. Like we, we find some other gremlin to fill that void with. So I like to think of it as, well, how can I answer that question differently? So if the question is, who am I to, I suck at things. I don't have enough experience, blah, blah, blah it can be, all right, well, who am I to? And here's who I am. So I that's have, the disruption. It's not yeah. just, you're actually interrupting the thought process with a new thought, which is so much easier um, in the long run than trying to unlearn an old thought and just leave it blank. So Absolutely. do you offer people like a new script? Are you are you a, a fan of like sort of re-scripting our narrative? Or is this more spontaneous, like 
minute to minute you want to see people flexing into a new question? I think it's a little bit of both. I The way I like to work with people is I like to support them in creating their script because I am a big advocate for people coming up with what works for them. Mm -hmm. Um, So you won't find me a lot saying like, this is how you define X or this is how you define this. I'll more pose the question of how would you define it? Mm -hmm. What's the definition that works for you? And so together um, or on their own, right? They can come up, you know, if if a listener is, is taking this in, come up with their own script. So if it's who am I too, How could you answer that so it's actually a powerful response? How could you answer that? How can you gather all the evidence, your years of experience, what the things you've already navigated, the challenges you've overcome, the accomplishments that you have? How can you actually gather that evidence to answer that? Who am I to with uh, reverence and power? So that could be the the script. And then writing it down. Uh, You know, I have post-it notes all over the, the place because if it's visual outside of us, it's easier to grab onto it when it, when again, you know, if you're at a speaking event and you you choose to look at somebody's face, who's just like, you're, you're going to make that. I know I sometimes make that mean something about, <laughs> I'm like, Oh my, they think I'm an idiot. Uh, so I can look over that post note and be like, no, like, this is who am I to be at this event? Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And I, I'm, I'm wondering too, if there are people who rely on, I know I do, I jumped through a lot of hoops to accumulate my degrees and to, to be, to feel like I had a real answer for myself about who am I to. And yet I look back at a younger version of myself. Um, and I think she had something to say too. And a lot of times I did take the risk. I was definitely not easily boxed in. Um, but what would you say to somebody who's in an earlier stage of their career or they've just pivoted, they've just changed or something that like they really don't have, they they can't just make an, a simple list of like, well, I've shown up in all these places and it, this isn't just imposter syndrome. This is actually, no, I'm, I'm venturing into new territory. I have it. I have the feeling that you have a message for those <laughs> folks too. I, I'm smiling because I love the I love people who are transitioning into to, to something, whether it's an employee going into starting their own business, whether it's a somebody who just got promoted into a new level of leadership. Uh, it's a business owner who's decided to add speaking to their their uh, offerings, or it's somebody newer, right, uh, or younger starting something something new. I love that question so much because I think we forget how much that we have done, whether we're 15, 40, or 90, that translates into what we're doing now. I think sometimes when we think we get to this new thing, like that we've left part of ourselves behind, but we're actually taking everything with us. So if I'm work, you know, if I'm working with somebody who's looking at getting a promotion or is like, okay, I really need to embody CEO, we'll actually do a mind map or, or get it all out of their head on how does, how does what you know translate into what you're doing now and where are the gaps? It would be a naive of me to think if I'm going to add a new, something new to my business that I know everything there is to know. So I think it's a both and of what am I bringing? And if I want to get to this next level, what are the gaps? What are, what do I need to learn? What are the things I need to practice? And that, and I think that's true of, I think about when I 
came out, uh, first graduated college, I got thrown into roles where I was standing on stages in tech with, you know, what I call like the Britney Spears microphone. It was like the little microphone in the the pack. I didn't know what I was doing. I was freaked out all of the time. And I just had to keep trusting that somebody decided to put me in this role. Like I can't be that shitty at it because I'm, I'm here so I think there's a both and of trusting what I have, what you have in the moment and what are the things I need to build on. I think when making that list of what you bring to the table, we need to not only look at our successes and our accomplishments and degrees, but also places where we may have failed and made mistakes because that's just as valuable to the people we're trying to help. And I know like when I'm teaching a class, I always include the areas where I just fell on my face because I think it helps save them some time. And it also shows more wisdom and growth through those processes. And it adds value to the conversation because it's not like the failure was a moment where we need to like erase that from our life because it doesn't matter. It's actually something that brings more wisdom and knowledge to the conversation. Do you include that when you're trying to help your clients understand the value they bring? Yeah. When you said uh, failure, Angela, I thought of resilience. That's because it's not all rainbows and sunshine all the time. Like nobody gets to where they are again, no matter what age you are and what your background or what you've been through or whatever you, whatever the, whatever the good stuff is that you write down on a list, nobody's gotten to where they are without some tripping, without some failures. And I, I absolutely include those things because then people can remember that they're actually more resilient than they think they are. When I think about how much, Oh, what I haven't mentioned yet is that a lot of this is really about self-doubt. So that's like one of the underlying things of good girl conditioning or, or anybody who's uh, asking a question, who am I too? It's about a lot of it's self-doubt. And so self-trust is seeing the good and the stuff that sucked and getting how resilient people are. Really, really resilient. That's a good point. I think... Uh resilience is an under, maybe not undervalued, but definitely under talked about, um, part of our experience and, and, and values. Um, when it comes to advanced levels of leadership, what skills would you say are needed then? And how does the, the good girl kind of conditioning get in the way of that? And when I say advanced levels, I mean like being a speaker on a, a large stage or being a CEO or, you know, just having your own gig where you are running the whole show every day. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's the way I like to think about it is that everything that we carried with us before just gets amplified. So if you're a speaker and you are talking to an audience of 10 and then eventually you're talking to an audience of a thousand what concerns you or what gnaws at you may not be all that different, but it gets louder. If you're a, a manager and you go to the director level, or if you're a CEO, whether you're a solo entrepreneur CEO, or whether you have a team CEO, I think it just gets, that noise gets amplified more. There's more pressure. There's more responsibility. There's more people to judge you. There's more people to disappoint. 
there's, um, but there's also more people to impact and make a difference for, right? So it's, it's, it's not the doom and gloom piece, but it's like, wow, I am committed to having a giant impact and I'm a CEO running this company. And I am also scared because I'm responsible for more people and not everybody's going to like the decisions I make. And I'm probably going to piss more people off because more people are in my sphere of, of influence. And, you know, am I worried about burdening and overwhelming those people? And so now I'm doing everything myself and I'm resentful and burdened. But what I find is that it's not like there's a brand new thing. It's a who am I to is amplified. Mm-hmm. Do you think that there's anything to the idea of people thinking that they've solved their good girl problem? Like, like once you gain a certain level of competence in, in a sphere, right, it, it can feel sometimes like we've, like we've resolved. Like, okay, I, I found that. I've seen it. I followed all of Sarah's steps. I got this. But then we up level. Something happens. Either we we choose it, or or greatness is thrust upon us, <laughs> and we find ourselves in a new position where we don't have the competence. We have the capacity. We may even believe we have the capacity, but that doesn't always translate. And I, I don't know. I've seen so frequently how we can't really cure things. We, we have to deal with them fresh again. So do you see that? Like what happens and what do you tell people to do when they feel like they've already solved something, but it's popping up again? Uh, well, if, if people have solved some of this stuff, completely, completely, please let me know how <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd love some of that for myself. Um, I always say, I'm like, I'd be, a, my clients are like, just like, what's the solution? I'm like, listen, if I had that, I'd be a gajillionaire and I'd bottle it up um, and I'd, or I'd give it to everybody for free. Cause then our world would look amazing. Uh, but I do think, I don't think it's about solving it. I think it's about quieting it. That's always been the goal for me. I have worked with therapists and, and coaches and you know, I learned from all kinds of, of people, follow different people on Instagram, right? Like I, there's all these different resources that I've used over the years to quiet that really loud inner critic. And I see the same thing with my clients. They will absolutely quiet that voice, quiet that inner mean crap that we say to ourselves, absolutely will quiet it. And then they can make more powerful decisions. They can bring more of their voice. They can show up more authentically in their leadership. They can make the decisions that scare them. And then you're absolutely right, Jolie. Like they'll be trucking along and be like, wow, I totally got this. Like, look at me rocking my mojo and bringing my swagger and doing all of these things. And then somebody will say something in a meeting that has them doubt themselves, or they will elevate their leadership to a whole new level, like CEO, or they'll talk in front of a thousand people, or I don't know, maybe they go try out something new in their sexual relationship and it doesn't go the way they want, right? Like something will happen that has them, that, that jars their confidence. And then I think it's rinse and repeat. Okay. What do I know when that gets loud? What do I know to do? What do I know to look at? Who do I know to call and say, Hey, can you remind me? I I, I don't know if I should share this or not, which probably means I should, uh, before this call, I WhatsApped my team and I said, Hey, I'm about to go do an interview on a podcast. Can you remind me that when words come out of my mouth, I don't sound like a dumbass? And 
I got some messages back and one person wrote me a voice memo. And, you know, a few years ago, I would have never done that. I would have been like, nope, I'm supposed to pretend that I'm super confident and that I got it all together and I don't need anything from anybody. And now I'm like, that's such bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think it's doing our own work, but also getting supported to remember who we are. There's so much too. So I hear her, Angela, naming the sisterhood. Like I, it's where we've been talking about voice and confidence a lot, but without community, it's so much harder. All of it is so freaking much harder. So I hear you saying really simply like, yeah, call in your people and, and do that for each other. Like provide that, um, the antidote to the, to the terrible voices, the, the, the fear by in, in real time. I think reaching out for the text support is, is smart because it's real time. It's not just, it's not just like go journal because journaling's great. But if I need to get on stage, I actually really need somebody to whisper in my ear how great I am. That's like, that's what I need to hear right then. Even if I'm ill-prepared, even if I'm not quite ready, (laughs) I still need somebody to do that. So that's making me think of how I support my teens as they stretch because they're constantly Mm -hmm. stretching. It's hard. And it doesn't really matter whether they're ready for the next thing. What they need to hear is, yeah, they are. They're ready. And it works every freaking time. So why wouldn't it work no matter what age we are? Yeah, I think part I think of the the speaking, the, part of not asking for help is part of the good girl archetype too, right? Because you don't want to ask for help and bother somebody. <laughs> yeah. That makes yeah. Sense. When Jolie, when you said, I forget exactly what you said, but it, it reminded, oh, one of the questions earlier was like, what are some of the messages or, or messages or what are some of the ways this shows up? And it reminded me when you said the oh, like reaching out to people, I think there's this idea that we shouldn't have to. Like if, if once we get to a certain level or for us to show that we're strong enough, that we shouldn't need to reach out to get reassurance. Like if somehow being reassured is a bad thing. And I think I love what you both just pointed to. That's a that's a part of it. We're conditioned to think we should be able, we, should, we need to be strong and we need to be able to do it ourselves. And that's a badge of honor. And it's, it drives, it, it, it burnt me out. It, it burns my clients out because then it turns into this like superwoman type thing or super leader type thing or super speaker type thing. And that's, that's made up. I mean, Pinterest has turned, turned us into thinking we're you know, like, we, we have to do all that stuff. And I love how you both talk about the sisterhood, you know, who is the, who's on your team, whether it be literal or uh, figuratively, who's on your team to hold you up when you can't see it? I got to name it, Angela. She brought it into the room. The message of self-sufficiency. I mean, that's white supremacy at work. That is that is the, the patriarchy and white supremacy saying self-sufficiency is the number one way that you can tell you've succeeded. And if we want to actually do our work and dismantle, like if we want to unlearn these behaviors, we have to actually, so what an interesting thing to put ourselves in a position of getting more help. Who doesn't want help? Getting feel, feel the feeling of sisterhood and support, getting the feeling of community, participating in our communities. These are super positive feeling things. And the only argument against them is live up to this standard, which is, as you just said, Sarah, made up. It's, it's fake. It's a, it's a mystique. It's not 
a real thing. And it's damaging our sense of community. How do we how do we actually come to count on each other if we are so busy worrying that we have to be perfect, we have to show up completely unto ourselves, like we're we we don't need anything. That's a that's actually a terrifying thought in my mind. Just the idea that that I shouldn't need other people because I can feel it kicking around in there. Like you say it, I'm like, oh, I I can feel that. That has a spot in me. Ouch! Yuck! Yeah. Well, and you know, I think about it through the one of my things that I used to be really really proud of, and I I have to keep my eye on um, still is I spent my whole life being like, I'm fiercely independent. Yeah. And in some ways that is true. And I, I, I think that's, I don't dig, I don't ding that quality about myself. And yet I've been reading a lot about trauma lately. Uh, one, just for myself and two, so I can make sure that I'm, uh, being aware of trauma in my coaching. So I'm not harming, you know, people mm-hmm. further. And, you know, a lot of what I read about being fiercely independent is actually a trauma response. And yep. so these things that were, that we've learned culturally that are badge of, badges of honor are actually trauma responses or white supremacy. You know, I, um, Desiree Attaway uh, is a, a brilliant, brilliant teacher and she is leading this course called the Freedom School. And it's, and she's trained specifically through a black, a black queer Feminist lens. Yeah. That black queer feminist lens. And a lot of what I've been learning from her is how perfectionism is actually a white supremacy thing. And and that's been mind blowing to me. So there's all these ways they connect and correlate that would never have have done on me that this thing that I'm wearing as a badge of honor, uh, being on time, being uh, urgent about things like all of that, you know, could get folded into good girl conditioning, but really it's, it's also white supremacy. So it's so layered and so multifaceted. Yeah. Cause the good girl is part of that. The, the, the white cis hetero patriarchy needs the good girl archetype in order to sustain its structure. So we can, yeah. it's one of the ways we can actually redo. We can, we can redo this thing we call life in our country by just acting in accordance with our actual values, which, which would have us doing things like asking for help. Why is that so dang hard? Well, because we were told not to, but it's so much deeper than just we were told not to. Like generationally, it's huge. It's not, it feels simple on, on the face of it, but to actually do it, to take action and ask for help and support each other is, that feels like revolutionary work. It's a big deal. Yeah. And it, it, reminds me of something I heard Kimberly Crenshaw used it in one of her talks. She coined the term intersectional or intersectionality and she used the word interrogate. Mm -hmm. And while she was using that word through uh, race and, and racism and, and, and sexism, I, I really love that word for anything. Like how are we interrogating our, our values? How are we interrogating our thoughts, our beliefs, how are we interrogating our choices? Because they were formed through all of these different systems. And are they actually our values now? Or did we just or, adopt them? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. And and that's not it, it makes sense. This is I mean, that is what growing up is. We we learn we we learn our values 
from what's around us. And we don't have to be angry at our parents or at a particular teacher in order to say, oh, I think I'd like to unlearn this now. I'd like to unsettle myself a little bit and, <laughs> and, and have some new messages that actually support me feeling good as well. I, people talk all the time about doing their work. Um, and, and I'm all for showing up and doing my work, but I'm also down for feeling good and asking for help and actually getting it and setting myself up in a life where that's the norm rather than pretending to be self-sufficient and pretending that I have to exist perfectly. What a, it, it is so much yummer, yummier of a life. <laughs> so I want to go there. Let's go to that planet. That sounds good. I think we're going to have to make it here because we don't have the spacesuits ready yet, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it reminds me of a conversation I listened to that you had with Cindy, Cindy Lee. Uh, we're, where the idea of, of joy came up. And again, I know it was joy through a, another lens, but in general, like, can we allow ourselves to have more fun? Can we allow our, you know, when I think about being a better leader and when I talk about pe- people to people about being a better leader, it's not better how we think of traditional better. It's having a better experience. It's having more fun. It's having more ease. It's uh, having more expression, uh, like, you know, I, I just, yeah, for, as the person who can be a bit of a Debbie Downer sometimes, I'm a big fan of like, how do we just have more fun yeah. with, with everything? Yeah. I'm down for that. Yeah. You have some <laughs> recommendations for resources that would be helpful for learning more about white supremacy and how it relates to the good girl conditioning. Well, so I don't know that I have seen it tied to good girl specifically, but if we just took that label out and just tied it to white supremacy and a lot of the narratives that we might recognize as, as good girl, uh, as I mentioned, I'm a big fan of of Desiree Attaway. Uh, the Attaway Group is, is Desiree's website. She has amazing resources uh, on Instagram. She puts just really quick but profound things out. Um, in terms of joy and liberation, uh, there's a woman, I need to double check her name. Uh, it's uh, Ebony Janice. She is amazing. Uh, it can be found on Instagram. I also think uh, Rachel Cargile does amazing yeah. work as well. She has a, a Patreon account called The Great Unlearn. And uh, they're all uh, they're all black women, but they're just the way they're tying everything together between racism and uh, sexism and feminist lens. And then I think the other person I'm a big fan of is Kelly Deals. Uh, she does. She's actually the the person who helped me come up with like I was sharing everything that I was going that I noticed my clients were going through, and she helped me actually come up with good girl conditioning and then talking about how it's a toxic brew because then we we had some fun with some witchy type stuff. Um, but Kelly deals uh, really helps entrepreneurs specifically, but this could apply to any leaders in any industry to examine what, what started out as like the female lifestyle brand. You know, you got to look a certain way and you've got to look very lavish and how has that gotten built into our businesses Mm -hmm. in a way that that's actually not empowering to women. So those are some of the people that I'm learning a lot from. And then, um, you know, you, you can also, you know, follow me on, on Instagram at Sarah Schneider Co. 
there's a co behind it because there are 9,000 Sarah Schneiders in the world. <laughs> uh, well, names. There's only, you are uncommon. There's only but one the name. Of me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's only one of me, but the name is quite common. Thank you, mom. Um, but you, you can also, uh, I'm always putting things out and quick tips and, and stuff on, on Instagram. And so I, I, I'd love to connect with people there too. Great. Do you have a website or any anything that you want to point people to as well? Sure. Um, so sarahschneiderco.com is my website. And I do have, there's some there's some podcasts there. And then I also have a, a free download and basically 14 minute video. How do you quiet self-doubt and increase self-trust? a little bit of what we talked about here, but some more tactical, tactical steps that you can do in, in 14 minutes to really get back in your, in your power and do the thing. That sounds awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today to talk about this and sharing your expertise. And it was just a pleasure getting to know you better. So thank you. Thanks, Sarah. Yeah. Thank you both so much for the, just a great conversation. I, I appreciate it. And, uh, You don't have to do this podcast, but you do. So thank you for that so much. You're welcome. (laughs) Jolie and I hope you love listening as much as we love making this show. If so, tell us by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or share it with a friend. Claim the Stage is a production of Speaker Sisterhood and is produced in the Glitter Closet in Holyoke, Massachusetts. Music is composed by Kelly Vogel of Sound Passage. All right, that does it for us this week. Until next time, stop waiting, start creating. Bye for now.